0: You can know anything, it's all there. You just have to find it. Hello dreamers, my name is Petra Borzynski. I am a psychotherapist, vocal coach and writer. And it's been a while. I had a couple of major life changes and a move. So apologies you had to wait a bit longer for this installment of Shadow Truths. But I now see light at the end of the tunnel and I'm really happy to get back to my regular publishing schedule. Today we'll talk about issue number three of Neil Gaiman's Sandman, Dream a Little Dream. And if you need a recap of the previous two issues, you can find the podcast episodes right here, obviously. But if you'd like to read along, I'll also put links for you into the show notes. And I'd also love to hear from you. So if you're reading along, is this your first reading of The Sandman? Or are you a long time fan who is diving back in now with a slightly different focus, this focus that we have here, which is mental health and creativity. So just let me know. Again, leave it in the show notes or visit me on Substack. All the details will be in the show notes for you. And just let me know what you're doing right now. As usual, we'll start with a brief summary again. So as we all know from the previous episode, Dream has escaped from his imprisonment and returned to his realm, only to find it in ruins. His tools of power are still missing and after consulting the Fates or the Hecate about their whereabouts, he now sets out to recover them. He starts with his pouch of sand, which obviously, as we learned before, can induce sleep and dreams. He tracks the sand down to John Constantine, who is swapped to Joanna in the TV show. And Constantine is an occult detective, he's an exorcist and a magic user, plus he's also a bit of a con artist, to be quite frank. And um, if you're familiar with the Hellblazer comics or the Swamp Thing, that's exactly that John Constantine we're actually talking about. You might also know the film with Keanu Reeves, and as much as I like Keanu Reeves, um, the film wasn't really great if you want to get a true picture of who John Constantine is so I'm really sorry about that. There was also a TV series with Matt Ryan which is far superior in my view but unfortunately that's been axed after just one series. Um, Basically to tell you straight away if you're reading along the horror tones are quite apparent in this issue for exactly that reason that we're connecting with John Constantine. And if that's not your thing, be warned. Um, Maybe also as a general addendum, the first seven issues of The Sandman generally have quite a different tone to what comes after. And Neil Gaiman himself has stated repeatedly that he sort of struggled a bit to find his voice during the first issues, not least because... There had to be references to the wider DC universe at that point. So if you are new to the comics and you're not quite sure about them yet, I encourage you to stick with them until at least issue eight. It's really worth it and the whole arc and quite frankly the whole depth of the story completely changes from then onwards but that's just a little side note. So back to John Constantine, he agrees to help Dream find his pouch which has been stolen by his ex-girlfriend Rachel. In the TV series, Johanna actually left Rachel and she left the sand with her. But Rachel has become addicted to the sand and its dream-inducing qualities and that obviously comes at the expense of her body completely failing her. Plus, it makes everyone who enters her apartment vulnerable to get trapped in dreams or nightmares. Ultimately, Dream retrieves his pouch, but there's unfortunately no saving Rachel, and he puts her to sleep one final time so she can die in peace. So we finally get a glimpse at his morality here, his capacity for kindness, which we haven't really seen that much yet. But... That's also only after John or Joanna basically tell him that he can't leave Rachel this way to suffer. So that also tells us something about his time still lacking empathy. Rachel's last dream is one of John or Joanna in the TV series and them being together again. The TV series also alternates that particular plot line with that of John D. We don't get that at the comics yet. And John is basically visited by his mother, Ethel Cripps, who was the former lover of Roderick Burgess. And he now stays in a mental institution. In the comics, that's actually Arkham Asylum. But the DC references had to have been removed for the TV series. So basically, Ethel tells her son that he needs to let her know where the ruby is because she wishes to protect him. If you aren't sure why, basically, still look back at previous episodes or the write ups on Substack. Again, all the links are in the show notes. And ultimately, she gives him a protection amulet that she used to stay alive for much longer than a normal mortal lifespan. As soon as she gives him the amulet, she ages and dies. And Dee then uses the amulet to escape and kills several guards in the process. He also encounters the Corinthian, which we already met in previous episodes, And the Corinthian offers him his coat and just basically tells him that the only thing important to him is that John gets where he needs to get. So let's talk about the pain points in issue number three. Dream a little dream relates to several mental health topics, which can all be interpreted at face value or more metaphorically. A very obvious one is, of course, addiction. Rachel becomes addicted to the sand and that gives her a temporary escape from reality and a sense of control, even if it's just via dreams. The downside of that is obviously that her health and her relationships suffer and that she also becomes vulnerable to the nightmares that exploit her addiction and drain her life force and basically also the life force of everyone who gets close to her. So it's not hard to see how this translates to real life addiction and how it affects ourselves and our relationship to others. Metaphorically speaking, the sun's power to create extremely vivid dreams is of course also very applicable to escapism in general. So, while a certain degree of escapism is normal and helps us to cope with difficult life situations, there's a warning in here that turning to constant maladaptive dreaming to, for instance, escape loneliness will ultimately make whatever we're struggling with worse. So, the fact that the nightmares attack everyone who enters Rachel's apartments and ultimately drag them down with her also speaks as a stark warning that it's never just about ourselves, but also about the people who are close to us. Another recurring theme that also shows up in this issue is that of trauma. Both Constantine and Dream have experienced traumatic events in their pasts. For Constantine, it's mostly that he lost Astra to a demon during an exorcism gone wrong. That also applies to Joanna in the series. And Constantine blames himself for her death and is haunted by feelings of guilt. And those feelings of guilt show as recurrent nightmares. I'll put a bit of extra information about Astra and also about how nightmares and dreams are basically our way of processing things into the show notes for you. Recurring nightmares are almost always stress-induced, hence a bit of extra info there for you. We already explored dreams trauma in previous episodes so I won't go into that in too much depth here. If you want to check back in on that just listen to the previous episodes. So as we all know trauma causes psychological and emotional distress like anxiety, depression, anger, shame and ultimately isolation. And it also affects our sense of identity and agency. So at first glance Constantine seems confident maybe slightly chaotic with a sort of self-destructive bent, but he can't fully move through his past experiences and they affect everything and everyone else in his life, including Rachel. Especially in the TV series, we are told in no uncertain terms that Joanna's inability to cope with her own trauma, led her to leave Rachel. And that's what ultimately cost Rachel her life because she left the sand there when she up and ran, essentially. And then Rachel discovered the sand. So um, there's a really uh, unlucky chain of events there. The fact that Dream takes Constantine's nightmares away in both the comic and the series seems a comparably small consolation when we look at the damage that has already been done. But it also leaves a glimmer of hope that at least Constantine's future relationships might not end up similarly haunted. And that speaks to the fact that we are not responsible for the traumatic events that happen to us and how deeply they affect us because that's not our fault. But we are responsible for our healing and how we relate to others. And that's obviously a very hard journey and there will be setbacks along the way. And that's also something we shouldn't forget when we look at this story. Last but not least... This issue explores the repeated topic of the relationship between dreams and reality, which are also telling us something about our creativity and how all of this relates to each other and affects each other. If we're looking at the TV show in particular, we can take both Rachel and John D as the prime examples for someone yeah, for whom these lines have become completely blurred. Since John D is in a mental facility I'd reckon that his most likely diagnosis would be probably some type of psychosis because his perception of reality is really acutely altered. He believes that he can shape reality with a ruby and that he's destined to destroy dream. In the comics he has very little empathy and shows absolutely no remorse These traits have thankfully been slightly altered for the TV show and we'll explore that a bit deeper in the next issues. And I'm really glad about that because while psychosis can affect judgment and behavior and relationships, it's also deeply distressing and isolating for the sufferer. And I'm always left feeling slightly uncomfortable when mental health conditions are continuously given the serial killer bends and that is a continuous complaint um, about a lot of movies and um, books obviously as well. Today I'd like to get into our exploration from a slightly different angle and I pull three of my favorite quotes from this issue because I think they offer lots of food for thought. The first one is a quote by John Constantine. It's the one that I also put at the start of this episode. You can know anything, it's all there. You just have to find it. So this is a quote that will also be mirrored in other issues and I don't want to give away too much at this point. But it's certainly worth contemplating as we move through our own lives. It would be very easy to just look at this quote in the context of acquiring hard knowledge. Um, Even in the issue, it's been brought forward in a scene where John is actually walking along shelves of books and tries to find information. But in a graphic novel like The Sandman and spoken by an actual occultist, that would be far too easy, right? So the whole issue is centered around nightmares in one way or another, but also around the dreams that shape us. So I'd like to encourage you to take this as a question that deeply relates to yourself. How do you deal with unpleasant experiences? which here in this issue are symbolized by nightmares. But you can take this um, yeah, for pretty much everything that's uncomfortable in your life. Do you generally try to avoid unpleasant experiences? Do you feel like you're able to confront them? Do you interpret them in a certain way? So do you see them as something that has the potential to teach you a life lesson, which ultimately leads to growth? So what's your own look at unpleasant experiences? And what are some current strategies or techniques that help you to cope? And where do you feel you need help? The next quote is actually by Dream himself. And the quote is, it is never only a dream. That comment by Dream relates to John awaking from a very vivid dream, or let's call it a nightmare. Again, it's a quote that's really important for the whole run of the Sandman and our own potential interpretation of the events therein. But for now, let's stick with what we can take from this quote when we relate to ourselves and others. And a very important question that comes up in this context is how we balance our dreams and reality. Do you use your dreams? You could potentially also relate to them as goals or values. So do you use them as a source of inspiration? Is it escapism? Is it problem solving? So how do your dreams influence your decisions? And perhaps one step further, do you actually allow yourself to dream? And do you allow your dreams to be an expression of your true self, even when you're awake and not daydreaming? Is there a sense of freedom attached to them? Or do they feel like something that's dragging you down because there's an overwhelming sense of Yeah, it's never going to happen anyway. And if the latter is the case, is there anything you could do about it to get closer to those dreams and goals? Because sometimes our dreams seem to be too big. But the question is, are they really? Or is it just that we lose sight of all the little, sometimes exhausting, everyday steps that are actually necessary to reach those goals? And do we get lost in looking at the Bigger picture exclusively, which obviously becomes overwhelming and discouraging pretty quickly. And related to this, do you communicate your dreams to others? Are your dreams a source of connection, or is that something you have never thought about? Because it feels embarrassing or self indulgent of sorts. It's hard if we're only surrounded by people who don't share our vision and our dreams. That's why social connection with people who understand us is so important and why it's even more important to find those people who share that vision. And that can sometimes take quite a while and it can sometimes also mean making less space for people in your life who maybe don't share those visions and that can also feel hard because we need to surround ourselves with people who want to see us thrive and who don't think that our dreams are in any way ridiculous. And the last quote I'd like to look at today is also one by John Constantine, which is, smells are a hotline to memory. Now, that might strike you as an odd choice for a meaningful quote, but since I'm a psychotherapist, I can't stress enough how important our senses are. They can work with us or against us. They can fortify and keep us trapped in traumatic experiences or they can help us process them. And when we're processing experiences in our lives, we very often default to thinking them through when our body can sometimes actually be the more helpful thing to look at first. And this is when I usually talk about sensory coping skills. Sensory coping skills involve engaging one or more of our senses and switching away from a sensory channel that distresses us, which is obviously something, if you don't know how that works, that should be learned under supervision, especially if you have ongoing mental health issues. So you have your five senses, sound, taste, smell, sight and touch and the main goal is to keep us more grounded in the present moment and that's a skill that's absolutely helpful for everyone and a skill that absolutely everyone can learn and it's helpful even for those who haven't experienced trauma. It's really an everyday coping skill and you can start with something that's not very likely to upset you in any way. So obviously choose something that feels good for you. So the next time you feel stressed just try to engage one of your five senses you, so you could listen to music for instance. Um, be that because it makes you feel relaxed or happy or energized. You can choose music that suits your preferences, or you could create a playlist of songs that evoke pleasant memories or feel inspiring in some way. Music can be a source of comfort and also a way to express your emotions. But it could be far simpler than this. It doesn't even have to be the playlist. You could just tune into the sounds that are present around you at at any given moment. What are they like? Where do they come from? So really engage with them to stay present and in the moment. Only if it feels comfortable, obviously. A massively underappreciated sensory coping skill that's really effective in the moment is tasting, actually. So you could try eating something with a strong flavor like a mint or a citrus fruit. Or if that doesn't seem to be appealing Drink something with a strong flavor like herbal tea or juice or something. Focus on our sense of taste immediately grounds us in the presence it 's really one of the yeah, most important sensory coping skills, and as I said, massively underappreciated. Engaging our sense of smell is equally effective, but again something many people don 't even think about. So you could smell a candle or perfume or essential oils. Smelling is extremely helpful when we feel stressed and want to stay in the present moment. And because, again, it grounds us in the present instead of our thoughts running away into the past or into the future. Or how about looking at something that makes you happy, like a picture of a loved one or a beautiful scenery or a favorite object? Engaging our vision helps us focus on the present moment again, but only if we stop visually engaging with the things that stress us, which isn't always possible. So in that case, again, switch sensory channels and use one of your other senses. Last but not least, our sense of touch is also extremely helpful to keep us grounded in the moment. You could give yourself a hug, Wrap yourself in a favorite blanket, give yourself a massage, cuddle your pets or even have a little object on you that feels nice to touch or that you can fidget with. All of these things might need a bit of experimenting before you find something that works for you. But sensory coping skills are really helpful to give yourself that little space between stimulus and response or reaction. So that's it for this week's episode. Please share your thoughts either in the comments or join our subscriber chat. Again, all the details are in the show notes. And if you like this podcast, please subscribe. Share it with your friends, with people who might also be interested in the Sandman or in exploring mental health and creativity through story. In a fortnight, we'll discuss one of my all-time favourite issues, which is a hope in hell, and up until then, sweet dreams.